The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, good morning. As we have met, I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here at Westway. And I would love for you to open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 16, uh, verse 7. Today we're going to be talking about chapters 14 through 16. Um, I've been encouraging you each week to read the next set of chapters before you come in on Sunday morning, because we don't, obviously, we don't read every verse from every chapter that we're, um, that we're talking about. So um, if you have your Bible app, the Version Bible app, and you want to follow along on there, um, that's really simple as well. We have all of the verses, all of the texts of what we're going to talk about today. So last week after the message, I, I sat down next to my wife, and she put her arm around me, and she said, so... We're going to watch America die, and we should kill puppies. That was, that was the takeaway, um, well, at least for her, um, from the message. So um, we, talked about, uh, we talked about the message last week in our, um, in our elders meeting. And so let's, let's take a moment. Let's just, let's take a moment and let's, let's clarify. Um, how, I mean, let me do it this way. How many of you would say, um, maybe over the last 60, 50, 40 years, um, uh, America has not quite lived up to her ideals? How many of you would say that? How many of you would say, over the last 40 or 50 years, um, that there's probably been a little bit of an increase in, in, how, in how the government takes power and authority. How many of you would say that? Okay, look at me for a second. That is Babylon. That is Babylon. And there's nothing wrong with saying that. That's Babylon. See, when a government begins to assume power and authority and control and, and begins to demand that you worship it, over other things, that's Babylon. It's just a fact. We've seen throughout history, there have been multiple Babylons. And we're gonna see this word get introduced um, in next Sunday's message when we talk about Revelation 17 to 20. And I wanna encourage you to read that before next Sunday so you can follow along. But anytime a government begins to assume more power, more authority, begins to demand that you give it all of your attention, begins to demand that you worship it, that's Babylon. And the church has stood at the graveside of empire after empire after empire after empire for the last 2,000 years. The church has just outlasted every single Babylon. And the church is going to continue to outlast every single Babylon. Look, I love America. Like, if you can't tell, I love America. If you were to go by my house today, you'll see there's an American flag next to our, our garage door in the, in the wall, in the side of our house, okay? It's not flying upside down. I didn't write the word Babylon on it, okay? I love our country. And at the same time, we all can recognize 
that there is something happening that we don't like. And regardless of how you voted last year, here's the thing. Like you recognize there's a problem. Whether you voted Republican or Independent or Democrat, there's something happening in our governmental system that you dislike. So you voted for the person you voted for because you don't like our government becoming Babylon. Okay? So again, like it's okay. We can recognize the truth about what's happening. We can love our country. We can desire a more just society while at the same time recognizing that we don't like what's happening. In fact, I would argue when my wife and I had this conversation, I think on Tuesday night for about an hour, like how do, how do we as Christians live in Babylon? What's our role? Well, that's revelation. That's, that's, the, that's the maybe the number two reason why we're going through the book of Revelation right now because it tells us how we live in Babylon. And then here's the second thing that I apparently said. You should kill puppies. Okay, so, so here's what I said. Each one of us has sin in our lives. All of us do. And at some point, that, that sin entered into our life as a cute little puppy. It wasn't that big of a deal. It was small. It didn't bother us so much. And then, like I said, until it started throwing up on your floor and crapping on your bed, and then it became a problem. See, here's the problem with sin. Sin grows up and becomes a roaring lion that is prowling, looking for whoever it can devour. So the best thing that you can do is you can kill that sin when it's still a puppy. You can eliminate that sin from your life when it's relatively easy to control. And if you don't, what's gonna happen is it's gonna, it's gonna be something that destroys your life. And maybe you don't believe that, which we're gonna talk about. I'm glad you're here today because that's, that's actually what we're gonna talk about toward the end of the message because some of us think that our sin's not that big of a deal and the Bible begs to differ with you. Okay, everything that we're talking about in this series begs to differ that your sin is not that big of a deal because it is. So as we enter into the text for today, Revelation 14 to 16, one of the things I just wanna remind you of is the, is the revelation is not linear. And here's what that means. It doesn't have a start point and it doesn't have an end point. It's not a timeline, right? We should not be reading the book of Revelation um, and then looking at the news to tell us what it means. We ought to be reading the book of Revelation and then looking elsewhere in the Bible for it to tell us what it means. And what we see, because, the, it, because Revelation is not linear, it's, it's, it's really on repeat. We're seeing the same things kind of happen over and over and over again. And this is the third set of sevens. Today, we're gonna to talk about the third set of sevens. We've talked about seven seals and then seven trumpets. And today, we're gonna to talk about seven bowls. And what I want to challenge you to think about today is, is, is those are really the same three things or the same seven things that are happening. They're just being presented from a little bit different um, perspective. But really what we're talking about today in Revelation 14 to 16, the temple's thrown open, open and God's holy wrath roars out of the temple in a purifying action that affects all of creation. What we're seeing when we read Revelation 14 through 16, especially the bulls, 
We're seeing God's holiness like wash over the earth. And the question that I'm gonna ask you a few times today is, is what do you think would happen when God's holiness washed over the earth? What do you think that that would look like? Well, the thing is, Revelation tells us. Revelation tells us what happens when the holiness of God meets the sinfulness of man. And that's today's message. So, So Revelation 14, I'm gonna kind of summarize these chapters and talk a little bit about each one of them. Revelation 14, I've just called praise, warning, and harvest. At the beginning of chapter 14, we find ourselves at Mount Zion with the lamb and with 144,000 people from Revelation chapter seven. They've each been marked with the name of the lamb on their forehead. And remember, we talked about this last week. When the Bible talks about things like foreheads, what it means is your intellect. It means your way of thinking, okay? There's not a stamp on their heads. This is the way they think. And then when the Bible talks about the hands, it's actions that are taking place. And these people are all praising God because they've been redeemed by him. And they've been purchased by him. And they've proven themselves worthy and faithful because of their actions, So again, this 144,000, that's not the only people going to heaven. And there are lots of religions that teach that there are only 144,000 people going to heaven. It's not what this is saying. It's using, if you know, 12 times 12,000 is 144,000. And like we talked about a few weeks ago, 12 is a number of completeness. So what we're seeing is the totality of God's people in heaven, worshiping him and praising him. And also like we talked about last week, you see like every other chapter, there's this moment where there's, where there's all of this seeming chaos taking place. There's all of this destruction taking place. And then there's a pause and it's like, let's sing a praise song. Let's worship God in the midst of all this chaos or seeming chaos and destruction. And the very next thing that happens in Revelation 14 is three angels appear. And they have a message. The first one says, fear God, glorify him. He is going to sit in judgment over all people. Worship him. See, this messenger's going out and he's saying, there's a God in heaven. Worship him. Fear him. Second angel Babylon has fallen, is what the second angel tells us. And remember, as we talked about last week, the beast of the sea, Babylon is the nationalistic, militaristic political powers. And it's Rome, but it's not just Rome. Does that make sense? So every system that is nationalistic, militaristic, and demands your worship politically is Babylon. And what this second angel is saying is Babylon has fallen. She's fallen. Because she forced all of the nations to drink the wine of her immorality. She deceived and accused them. She got them drunk on their promise, on her promises of power, place, and position. See, what the people who who worship Babylon are doing is they've fallen for the lie of the 666. Remember, we talked about that last week. 
666 is a perfectly imperfect number because six is less than seven. If God is seven, if God is complete, the best Satan can do is 666. That's the best. And Ann and I, again, like we were having part of this conversation. We were on a walk last Sunday night and we almost said something like, People who settle for the 666, the very next thing that I could, that my brain was formulating for me that, that I stopped before it went out of my mouth was, um, settling for 666 is settling for second best. Only that's not true in any way, shape, or form. Settling for anything other than the seven, the perfection of God, is going to lead to your death and destruction. There is no second best. There is no second best. And here's the third thing, the third angel that says, all who bear the mark of the beast are going to drink the cup of God's anger. Full strength. So if your mind, if your intellect is aligned with the beast, if your actions are aligned with the beast, you're gonna drink the cup of God's wrath. And, and maybe that doesn't sound fair, which we're gonna talk about here in a few minutes. But here's the reality. If you, if you ride the beast, when the beast goes down, you're going down with it. All of us, when we, when we choose a side, when we side with the beast, we're going down with the beast. And when you, think about, when you think about what's happening in our culture right now, as we, as we speed towards Babylon, we're being forced to make a decision, aren't we? Have you noticed that you're either fully in line with the culture of our day or you are against it? Have you seen that? That there is absolutely zero middle ground. You're either with the culture or you are against the culture. And that's what the culture tells us. Right? It's, not, it's not enough for you um, to not be racist. You have to actively talk about how you're not racist. See, this is a dividing line that our culture is making. And I would argue that the Bible is, is playing into that because there's only two sides. And so, I know some of us, like, we, like that, we struggle with that but we're seeing this picture painted where you're either on the side of the beast or you are on the side of God. And then in 14, um, at the end, there's this really, this, this little section, like the last 10, 10 verses from chapter 14 really were challenging for me. It talks about the harvest, the harvest of the wheat and the harvest of the grapes. And so I read through like multiple different Bible translations and I looked at multiple different commentaries, just trying to wrap my mind around what's going on here. And this is just what I think. Jesus is the final judge of all people, of those who follow the lamb and wear his mark and those who worship the beast. Jesus is the final judge of everyone. Whether you are a follower of Christ or against Christ, Jesus is going to sit in judgment over you. And if you resist Babylon... You will be victorious in heaven. You'll live victorious in heaven. If you follow Babylon, you will suffer defeat with her. 
And you should read the section where the, where the grapes get pressed and the blood flows and it's six feet deep. This is, this is frightening imagery of what God's judgment looks like. And see, this is consequence. This isn't karma. We live, in, we live in a time where we think people get what they deserve. Like we hear you reap what you sow as though that's some kind of karma. But the way God is talking about this is this is consequence. If you ride with the beast, you're gonna die with the beast. If you go all in with the beast, you're dying with the beast. Then we flip into chapter 15 and there's this, there's this sign. And again, praise. Have you noticed how, how the time between, between praises is beginning to narrow as we go through the book of Revelation? It's not just every other chapter or every other other chapter. Now it's every chapter there is praise. Because what's happening is God is being worshiped. God is being honored. God is being praised He's praised as great and marvelous, almighty, just and true, the king of the nations, worthy of fear, the Lord. He's holy as demonstrated by his righteous deeds. And then around verse seven, five, sorry. The temple is thrown open and God's holiness rushes out. What's really interesting about this is this is not just the temple, but this is the inner sanctum. This is the inner dwelling place of God. If you remember that from our Hebrews um, series several years ago, you had the temple, you had the outer courts, and you had an inner court, and then behind a curtain, that was where God dwelled. And that's, um, that's not a metaphor. God was there were times where God was literally physically present behind that curtain. And you can read about um, at least one instance of what happens when, when someone walked into that behind that curtain that they weren't supposed to. You can see what happens when someone enters into that holy space. And what's really kind of fascinating is we, as we think about the book of Revelation and um, it's not linear, so it's kind of standing outside of time. And these are concepts that are hard for us to wrestle with. Um, but can you think of a time in the Bible where the curtain was thrown open? Like when Jesus died, the curtain, remember, do you remember it tore from the top to the bottom? indicating there was, there was no barrier between God and man. So what we're seeing here in this text is, I think we're not just seeing the, the, the temple being thrown open, but I think we're getting an image of what happened on that day when the, when the curtain tore from top to bottom from heaven. Because remember, John is pulling back the curtain and revealing reality to us. See, what we see isn't the only thing that's happening. And that is really hard for us to grasp because we determine, by, we, return, we determine reality by what we see, by what we hear, by what we feel and what we experience. And if we don't, if we don't experience those things, then in our minds, like it didn't happen. And what 
John is doing in the book of Revelation, what God is doing in the book of Revelation is, is he's saying, hey, let me show you what's really going on. Church of the ancient world under persecution. All you see, hear, feel, and experience is the Roman Empire coming against you. But, but this is what's really going on. There's a deeper spiritual reality that's taking place. So I would argue when this happened, it's, it's not just happening here, but it's something that happened before. That curtain tore and God's holiness rushed out. So again, what, what do you think will happen when God's holiness is unleashed? Even if you don't, like let's say you don't believe in God. But you, just for a moment, imagine that there's, a, that there's a completely separate and holy and other being than you. Just, just for a minute. What do you think would happen? If the God of the Bible is the God, and what we know about him from the Bible is true, when his holiness and his power comes out of that place, what do you think is going to happen? The bowls. This is the finality of God's wrath. Like the seals, like the trumpets, now it's the bowls. And remember, I, I, I think there's a, when you read through them all, like they all just mesh. Maybe not in perfect order, but they all mesh. It's the same thing happening over and over again. That's recapitulation. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The bowls are the manifestations of God's presence being unleashed on creation. So when we ask that question, what, what do we think would happen when God's holiness is unleashed on creation? The bowls, right? That's, that's what's going on here. And John uses the language again of the plagues. Only this time, only this time, the bowls wreak havoc on those who have ignored the proclaimed good news. And this is where things get a little iffy for us. If, if we don't believe this whole thing, and again, more on that in a second. See, what we saw at the beginning of chapter 14 were three angels who were warning and warning and warning and warning. Worship God, fear God, Babylon has fallen. The thing that you've placed your life, your hope, your trust in, the 666, the beast, it's gone. It's not real. And if you continue down your path, the, the third angel says, you're gonna, you're gonna perish with that third angel. And see, there are people who've, who've heard that and what they've done is they've, they've denied it. That's what we're reading here in Revelation 16. They've heard the message over and over and over and over again and they don't believe it. And now the judgment of God is coming out. Those who are wearing the mark of the beast, the way they think, the way they act, they're gonna be covered with painful sores, the Bible tells us. 
The sea is going to turn red like blood and everything in it is going to die. Does this sound familiar? If we've been reading this this book all along, we're seeing these same themes on repeat over and over again. The rivers and springs become like blood. And when that happens, I find it so interesting. That angel takes a moment to remind everyone that the Lord is just. Don't miss that. Right? So imagine in your head, here's a bowl. And we're going to see how the people are going to respond in a second. But here's a bowl and he's pouring this out and he's saying, God is just. God is just. God is just. And that sounds really disorienting to us. The sun scorches everyone with fire. And the response of the people, they curse God and they refuse to repent. Next, the throne of the beast is plunged into darkness. And those who worship the beast, the Greek says they nod their tongues. Like when I was reading that this week, like what a, oh, what a crazy mental image of, of gnawing their tongues. The NLT says they grind their teeth in anguish and they curse God. And remember that God, this is so important. Remember that God had been telling them this was going to happen. And the response is to curse God. God's revealing to the people that everything they ever hoped for and in apart from him is shallow and empty and not enough. And their response is to hate God. That's the response. God's like, I've been telling you, I've been telling you, I've been telling you, I've been telling you that it's empty, that it's meaningless. And now when everything starts to fall apart, what do the people do? They hate God and they blame him. They suppress the truth. And finally, the Euphrates River is dried up. So all of the Babylons, all of the nationalistic, militaristic political powers can march to the West, the Bible tells us. They're marching to this place called Armageddon. So there's the word. If you've been waiting for the word Armageddon to come up, there it is. That's the sixth bowl. The river Euphrates is dried up and all the nation's militaries gather and march west. And then what's kind of interesting in this, when you take your time and slow down and read it, we hear, we hear from two things. We hear from two sides. The first is the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Last week, we called them the unholy trinity. And from those three come frogs, it says. Demonic spirits who go out to all the rulers of the world, telling them to gather their armies together and fight God in one place and defeat him. Can you imagine that? Like, imagine that John had to, what? Imagine what John had to see in order to, to write what he wrote. And I just imagine all of these whispers of all of the leaders of all of the nations around the world Go there, go there. We're good. Like, this, do you see all this? We can put a stop to it. We can stop the bowls. We can stop all of this judgment. We can stop all of these consequences. If we can just come together in one, and form one military and fight God off, we're going to win. Can you imagine that? 
Remember that the dragon is a deceiver and an accuser. And what do the nations do? Well, they all go line up. But we also hear from Jesus the same thing that we've heard throughout this letter. I'm coming soon. Watch for me. Be ready. Wear the clothes I've given you. We're we're getting close. All the epic nations are gathered together, right? The mother of all battles. I know I just dated myself to the early 90s. But like we have this image in our head right here, like the most epic Lord of the Rings battle ever. On one side, all of the nations, all of Babylon are gathered together. And then on the other side, we have Jesus. And here's what often we think. Like the, the sound goes off, the flags go up, and it's this huge battle that's taking place, right? And sometimes it goes this way, and sometimes it goes that way. And we imagine like any good war movie, there are, there are times where we think the good guy's going to lose and, oh, they're taking so many casualties. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? But the amazing thing is um, about this battle is when these two armies line up opposing one another, there's this phrase that gets shouted. It is finished. And that's it. Like, it's over. There is no, there is no give and take of an epic battle. There is no large-scale land warfare fought. It's over. Like, Jesus just shows up and that's it. It is finished. And we see the same thunder and same lightning, earthquake and hailstorm that we've talked about before. And Babylon falls. And everyone who made the choice to follow Babylon falls with her. The drink that the people settled for, right? Because we've settled for the six. The thing that we just agreed with because we've fallen for the accusation and the deceit of Satan has proven to be untrue despite God saying, it's not true, don't worship it, don't follow it. It's gonna get you in trouble. And everyone who accepted the six goes down with Babylon. John tells us they cursed God. Can you imagine that for a moment? Like, if this were a literal thing, and we can maybe think about that for a second. Like, you know this would be on TV, right? You know everyone is gonna be gathering around their TVs to watch this epic battle take place. All the armies of darkness, and then just Jesus shows up. It is finished, and it's over. I don't know about you, But I'm thinking maybe a good response would be to worship God in that moment. What do you think? Thank you. Like that would make sense. Here's the crazy thing. They cursed God because of the terrible plague of the hailstorm. Because some people would rather 
cling to their sin over the freedom that God gives them. That's reality. And I know in my own life, that is such a struggle for me. There are so many times where, where, I, where I, I see what God is calling me to, where my heart earnestly desires the seven, but I settle for the six. And my guess is that's it's probably true for a lot of you in this room. We see all of these things that God is doing and we, and we settle for the six. What I find interesting about that phrase, it is finished. Is there anyone you can think of in the New Testament that uttered that same phrase? Jesus Christ. Right, so, so this is where the, the revelation is not linear. We have to be careful to put it in, in such a linear way and in such an orderly way because I think when Jesus said it is finished on the, on the cross, like this is what was taking place in heaven. Jesus was victorious. It's over. It's done. And our question that we have to ask is what do we think would happen when the holy wrath of God is unleashed on an unholy universe. One of the questions that I was wrestling with this week is we might be tempted to read this and think maybe God's a little overreacting. Maybe you think that. Maybe if you're watching, maybe if you're in the room or if you're watching, like maybe you think like, man, this just, this seems a little, this seems a little heavy. Well, throughout the book of Revelation in particular, um, we've been told that this is not wrath on an unsuspecting universe. Remember, time and time again, after all of these consequences of sin, after all of these judgments of God, what is the response of the people. It's to curse God and refuse to repent. Michaela read Romans 16, 7. And I heard a voice from the altar saying, yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. I would encourage you to go back and look through the, the previous 15 chapters of the book of Revelation. Look for the amount of times that the word just is used. Look for the amount of times that the word holy is used. Do you remember the three angels in Revelation 14? Worship God. Babylon is falling. If you worship Babylon, you are going to suffer the same fate she did. See, every single thing that we've been reading in the book of Revelation up to this point, everything has been all about attempting to wake up the church in ancient Rome to the realities of life. And because the Bible is for us, everything that we've read up to this point has been about waking us up to the realities of life. So we are, we are not, we're not unsuspecting. None of us in the room is unsuspecting. What 
some of us in the room are doing like I even know right now. We're suppressing. We're suppressing the truth. I love Romans chapter one. I'm gonna read verses 18 through 25. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. You know what a fool is? A fool is a person who sees Jesus win and then curses him. That's a fool. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-loving God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. See, our natural tendency is to suppress the truth about God. So if you're, if you're hearing this and you're like, you know, this just, I'm not buying it. Here's what you're doing. You're suppressing the truth about God. And what you're doing in that moment is you, your intellect and your actions are aligning with the beast and that's not without consequence. Here's Romans 2. You may think you condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Remember the warnings from chapter 14 of Revelation? That's God's kindness and tolerance and patience. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you're stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil for this Jew first and then also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God on all, for all who do good. First, for the Jew first, also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. See, what we're not seeing in the book of Revelation is unjust wrath. 
We are not seeing unreasonable fly off the handle wrath. We are not seeing like, some of you have had this experience. What we're not seeing is a dad who gets drunk and then comes home and beats his kids. That's not God. We're seeing a just God. We're seeing just wrath. Because again, what do you think will happen when the holiness of God meets the universe? What do I think is gonna happen when the holiness of God meets sinful me? What do you think is gonna happen when he meets you? The only thing I can think of in this moment, you remember that scene in the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? Kind of at the end of the movie, they're on the island and they take the cover off of the ark and all, like, you know what happens? God's wrath comes flying out and destroys everything around it. I am not trying to scare you into the kingdom. You may think I am right now. That was my initial encounter with Jesus. I think I'm 13 or 14. Some of you have heard this story before. 13 or 14 in youth group, we go to Fayette County High School where there's gonna be an evangelist teaching that night. And he gets up there and he starts talking about how bad hell is, right? And he says something like, um, well, in ancient Arab lands, if they caught someone committing a certain crime, what they would do, and this is gonna be gruesome, right? But this is scaring the hell out of somebody. What they would do is when they caught this person, they buried him in the desert, in the sand up to their neck, and they cut their eyelids off. And I remember him saying, and their eyes would roast in their head. And then he looked at all of us like 13 or 14 year olds and he'd be like, and hell is worse than that. Who wants to follow Jesus, right? Well, what do you think? (laughs) The way I always tell this, like I wasn't the first person up there, but there's no way I was last, right? What we have seen time and time and time and time again in the Bible. Starting, starting in Genesis is a choice. We've been given a choice. Obey God or don't. Make a choice. This is an invitation for us We have seen God demonstrate his love and kindness and mercy time and time and time and time again. Even when life is hard, he's calling out to us, calling us to be faithful, calling us to be obedient, calling us into a love relationship with him. And I just, I wanna encourage you today to accept the invitation that has been offered to you. Because none of us knows when this is going to happen. That was not the point of this series so we could pinpoint a day on the calendar. You could circle it, 
right? Live however you wanted to all the way up until that day. And then the day before, make a decision for Christ. We're talking about this because we have been given an opportunity to respond to Jesus. This is not wrath on an unsuspecting universe, regardless of what you may think. You may think this is not fair. You may think it's not right. And I'm telling you today, you've been told. We can read this and maybe, it's, maybe you think it's not true. What do you think would happen when the holy God of the Bible, as described in the Bible, encounters you. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for your heart for your people. I'm thankful for your heart for people who aren't your people, who call us into repentance. who goes out of your way to save to the extent of offering your son for us. Each and every one of us is, is going to face a reckoning. Each and every one of us is gonna stand before a holy and just God. And the good news is we can we can determine how that's gonna to go today. We can have that reckoning right now by accepting your son, Jesus. Accepting his work on the cross for us. Because it may seem like it is not finished. But it absolutely 100% is because of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.